0: Welcome to the G3 Podcast. Today will be a a special recording of the G3 Podcast as I'm joined by my friend Paul Washer as we're discussing the challenges of this COVID-19 pandemic and the challenges that face the church today. And so welcome to the G3 Podcast, Paul Washer.
1: Thank you, it's a privilege.
0: As we think about this pandemic, certainly we can have absolute confidence that God is in complete control at all times as we think about human history and divine providence and divine sovereignty. But yet, as we think about this present COVID-19 pandemic, we're all forced at this very moment, at this juncture in time, in a very unique season of social distancing, to really pause and to consider the frailty of human life to really think about the priorities of life. And and yet it may be that during this time that there's someone that's an unbeliever that might be watching this very conversation or listening to this conversation, and yet they find themselves discouraged. They find themselves broken and they see that they've sinned against God and they find that, that they're really at a, at a juncture in life that they've never faced before. And, and they're looking at their own eternal destiny. So what would you say to an individual that finds themselves understanding that they've sinned against God, but yet they don't really understand how to be reconciled to God? So how would you speak the good news to them?
1: Well, um, I would not give them an easy or a pat answer. I would seek to explain to them who God is and who man is and what God has done for us in, in Christ Jesus. Um, at, at a time like this, we're prone to want to provide comfort and that's exactly you know what we should do. But there is no peace uh, when sin is in the equation. And so I would sit down and talk to someone not about you know why is this happening or because that, that's beyond my realm. I would share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ and it would begin with who is God, that God is holy and God is just, And that is good news for mankind, because if God was something like a Hitler, if he was unjust, unholy and yet omnipotent, it would be terrifying. But he's just, he's faithful, he's compassionate, but that he's also righteous and being righteous, that presents a great problem. The goodness of God presents one of the greatest problems to men because men are not good. So what does a good God do with men who are not? And um, God cannot simply overlook sin the Bible says that God is love it's what he is it's an attribute God cannot cease to be love any more than he can cease to be just but at the same time he can't cease to be just any more than he can cease to be love. and so the justice of God looks at the sin of mankind and there's alienation there's judgment leading to condemnation now the question is in the whole book of Romans is basically about this one theme: how can a man who is not good Be righteous before God and be acceptable to God. And Paul in Romans chapter 1 and and on into 3 and 4 talks about our good works are the things that we fall back on. That's the first thing mankind is going to fall back on because of self idolatry. We think that if we have more good works than bad works or we haven't done some atrocious thing that God somehow is going to accept us. And Paul disproves that totally in his first three chapters of Romans that mankind has sinned against God and it doesn't matter the quality or the quantity of sin we have sinned and we're separated from God and that there is nothing mankind can do there's nothing the individual can do to set themselves right with God but God has done the impossible he has done what the individual cannot do he has done a work of redemption that he planned out before even the foundation of the world before the fall of Adam and that is this that God and his son would become a man and he would live the perfect life that we could not live. And then he would go to the cross and he would die under the penalties for all our transgressions against God. And in doing that, he satisfies the demands of God's justice and makes it correct, makes it possible for a holy and righteous God to demonstrate compassion to man. But that's just in the person of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of Christ is God's approbation, his approval, his demonstration that what Christ did on that tree was sufficient for our salvation. I've been serving the Lord for 35 years, done many, many things. If I died today, I would go to heaven for the same reason the thief on the cross went to heaven. Jesus Christ died for sinners. My life adds nothing to his work of salvation. If someone becomes a Christian today, they go to heaven for the same reason I go to heaven or some martyr goes to heaven. It's because Jesus Christ died for sinners. And what must we do? We must recognize our guilt, recognize our total inability and trust exclusively in the person and work of Jesus Christ.
0: As we think about the person work of Christ, we also think about how God governs and as he guides human history how can the church during these very dark days find encouragement as it pertains to God's character and God's will
1: well that's a great question and um let me read a passage of scripture to you that in in all my life in my times of trouble I have gone to this passage and um let me find it here it's in the it's in the book of Daniel chapter 11. It's talking about some people would say the Antichrist. Other people would say um, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, It really doesn't matter. But there's an evil man that has arisen in history who is causing great damage to the people of God. It says by smooth words, he will turn to godlessness. Those who act wickedly toward the covenant. Then he goes on to say, and this is the part that we need. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. And, and you see, here, here's what it comes down to. People look at this virus and, and they have no peace. Even Christian people, they have no peace because their fundamental question is not biblical. Their fundamental question is, what is what's going on? What is God doing? What is what's going on? And I see this all the time in almost every trial. Our flesh wants an answer. Why? And that shows actually idolatry. You see. You see, we don't need to know what's going on. We don't need to know what God's doing. We don't need to know the, the profound wisdom of God behind all of this or the purpose. And when we start speculating in these things, we've come dangerously close to saying things about God that aren't true. So I don't need to know what God is doing if I know who God is. If I know who God is, that he is um, omniscient, he's all wise, he's omnipotent, he's sovereign over, there's not a maverick molecule, as R.C. Sproul used to say in the universe, then I don't need to know what's going on. I don't need to calculate things and I don't need to write out theories. I just need to trust in the character of my God. There's an illustration that I use um, oftentimes. When I was in Peru, you know, people always ask me, how did you survive in the jungle? How did you survive in all these different places that were so dangerous? And the first thing I point out is I'm a farm boy from Illinois. I, I'm not a military man and, and I don't know anything about all those places. I survived because of the Peruvians who were around me, who knew what they were doing. But there was one man in particular that demonstrated an exceptional character. He cared for me, he watched over me, he guided me. He was faithful in everything. Now, if that man walked in my office right now and said, Paul, give me the keys to your old Jeep, I would throw him the keys. And then you might respond, well, you know, you gave him your keys, but you don't know what he's going to do with your car. My answer would be, I don't need to know what he's going to do with my car because I know who he is. I know his character. And I know whatever he's doing, it will be right.
0: Mm, Yeah. That does bring us great comfort to know that God absolutely governs all things. So that that statement that Sproul would often state, you know, that Maverick molecule, that that's a wonderful reminder that God is in control of everything at all times. Now, in recent days, even yesterday, we've been hearing from health officials that this pandemic is not yet at a point uh, of peak as far as the spread of the disease. Uh, The models indicate that. At a low number, some 80,000 may perish as a result of this disease. At the high number, some estimates indicate maybe 200,000 in America alone. And so our world, our culture is fascinated by self-preservation, but yet at the same time gripped by the fear of death. So how, how can we find great comfort and encouragement in the doctrine of Jesus's resurrection?
1: Well, He lives. You see, this is the great difference between Christianity and every other religion on the face of the earth. As a matter of fact, sometimes students will talk to me about all the religions and how do we study them all and everything, and I say, basically, you you need to understand there's only two religions in the world. And and these two religions are divided by two primary ideologies. Outside of Christianity, it is a works-based, works uh, religion. If you do this and this and this and you don't do that and that and that, you may get in when you're weighed on the scale. The other thing is, is that it's principle driven. You save yourself by following some ethic or morality. Now, Christianity is is different in, in two ways that are completely opposite to what I just described. First of all, although Christianity has an ethic to it, and a morality; it is secondary. We are not saved by our ability to carry out some uh, religious scheme, to follow some book. That's it's not what we're sa- that's not how we're saved. We're saved by following a person, by trusting in a person who did everything for us. And and the thing about it is, is that resurrection demonstrates that that person was no ordinary man but that he was declared with power. He wasn't made the Son of God through the resurrection, but the resurrection declared him with power. It validated that he was the Son of God. And also, according to Romans chapter 4, it validated his work of redemption on our behalf, that his work was sufficient for our salvation. It satisfied the demands of justice that were against us. And so the resurrection is is everything. One, one of the things, and I don't need to go any farther than the mirror to to make corrections. I've discovered that throughout my years in preaching, when I've compared my preaching to, for example, the book of Acts, that I did not put enough emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension. You see, what we need to understand is he became flesh. And right now he is the God-man in glorified flesh, sitting upon a throne, and he represents us before God. And he is our elder brother. He has all the power of God. He is fully and completely God in the fullest sense of the term. And yet he understands our weakness. I have a, a very difficult heart disorder. All right. You know, if, if I get this, they tell me uh, I need to probably go buy flowers and lay down in the yard. Um, how can I have hope? I have hope because he has risen. You see, he's taken death. Someone asked me one time, they said, when when it happened to you, that heart attack, what what was the thing that was going through your mind? And I said, well, first of all, it happened so fast. But second of all, there was this idea, I said, I used to I used to like to do taekwondo and, and different kind of fighting. And I said, it was an idea that a man that was infinitely larger and stronger than me pinned me to the floor and was just mocking me. There was absolutely nothing I could do. And to think that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ took that man, I'm personifying death, took it and strangled it to death. The death of death and the death of Christ, as the old Puritans used to say. And um, and, and so that is our hope. It's the it's the resurrection. And it's not just I'm going to go to glory. That that's not all the resurrection means. The resurrection means two different things for two different groups of people. For for people who do not believe, it means that this one that was crucified by men is going to judge the world. But for those of us who believe, no matter what we go through here on earth, it is filtered through His sovereign will. It is His will, and we can trust in that.
0: In Hebrews 11, the writer describes Uh, those who have gone before us, those who have died in the faith, that they persevered in the faith. In other words, that they kept the faith. But yet it also speaks about that they were longing for, specifically Abraham, the writer to the Hebrews states, that he was looking uh, to, to the city whose maker and builder is God. So how can we find great comfort and encouragement as believers as we read Hebrews 11, thinking about maybe even the possibility of death during this pandemic?
1: Brother, we, we, first of all, we're, we're so different than Abraham. What Abraham could only look forward to has been revealed to us in the New Testament. We see Jesus in a way that that uh, does so much more than, than motivate or inspire. It exhilarates. So So we have that to carry us through the sufferings of this life. And then the other thing is, you know, I'm known as a, as a as a pretty hard preacher sometimes, but you know, when I'm preaching to when the elders at our church ask me to preach or something like that, my most common theme is the love of God and the grace of God. So many believers, and 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 I could include myself in this. I have to fight this. You know, we we look in the mirror of God's word and we see so many failures. So many failures. I mean, I do, at least I I just I don't have to talk about anybody else. Just me. You know, everyone looks spiritual in a pulpit, but so many failures. And and it almost, you know, behind us also is the whisperer, the liar, the slanderer. And we, we may not say it this way, but so many believers I found have this idea that the first thing they're going to see when they walk into heaven is Jesus seated upon a throne with a scowl on his face because of all their failures. Jesus did not shed his blood on Calvary so that at your first meeting, all you would see or receive is a scolding. The Puritans were fond of saying this. So many of them have said it that if I had recorded it, there wouldn't be enough books in the world. That that Christ will be more fond, more happy to see you than you will be to see him. And you see, we need to be very, very careful if we're in Christ. First of all, let me say this. There's only one hero in this story. There's only one hero in this story. The rest of us are a mess. We we really are. And, And we've been given entrance into glory because of our elder brother who has triumphed in every one of our failures. And this is the reason he died to save people like me. And, and so have a hope, a great hope that grace is so much greater than anything that you and I could ever imagine. Every preacher, when he preaches on grace, ought to do as I've often read Spurgeon. Whenever he preaches on grace or preaches on the cross, he will give an apology before he begins to preach. Because he says, I have not comprehended it as well as I should, not even the 10th part. And what I've comprehended, I cannot speak to you. So this sermon is going to be a failure, and and that's true.
0: So as we navigate this pandemic and as we watch people suffer loss, as we watch people suffer loss financially and some physically, as we watch the, the world suffer and yet the world looks at the church and sees the church suffer during this pandemic, how should the church, how should the people of God respond to suffering differently than the general population of, of this world? We have a hope.
1: Look, I, I, ha- I know what it's like to suffer. And, and I don't want to suffer. Anybody who would want to suffer, well, they, they need counseling. Um, but suffering is, is part of life. And, and in that suffering, we have a sense of the word of God. A sense, a conscious sense of the presence of God. But then we have this hope that endures. That this too will pass. You know, one of the, I think as one guy would always say, you know, the Bible many times says, you know, and it came to pass. It will pass. And that all through our road, he will be faithful. Hope. Hope. But that hope. I meet so many Christians with what I would call a vain hope because it's not based on scripture uh, let, let me give you an example say there's a man who's uh, just tore up in the church because his wife has left him and every day he comes for counseling to the pastor he's distraught he's tore apart and then one day he comes and and he's just full of joy and the pastor says what happened and he said well last night I had a dream that my wife came back to me and so now I, I'm just so full of joy you see that that's what we would call a vain hope why his his hope in life is not god's character god's will his hope is that his unmet expectation will finally be met and so our hope is not that we're not going to suffer our hope is not that this is not going to touch us in any way our hope is that Whatever touches us, it cannot take us out of the master's hand. Whatever touches us is filtered through his sovereignty. Then nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's very interesting that in Romans 8, Paul says, neither life nor death. Now, you would think he would put death first because death is the scary one. But I can tell you this. Sometimes it's it's easier to die than it is to live. But even in those times when life is so hard, He's with us. He's faithful. He'll bring us through, and that's our hope.
0: One of the things that has caused me to have great respect for you and for Heart Cry in general through the years was, believe it or not, it wasn't the sermon uh, that's titled the most shocking youth sermon. I have grown to respect you as a preacher and as, uh, you know, uh, as far as Heart Cry is concerned, an organization that comes alongside the church. And here's the reason, because of your commitment to God's church. And yes, you preach the truth. And yes, you're a faithful preacher, but yet you guys have a firm commitment to the church. And as we think about the definition of the church itself, the ecclesia, the called out assembly, during this pandemic, we're unable to assemble. And yet I have friends in in places like the Andes Mountains that have sent me word that they're huddled up in little... Uh, homes, worshiping, and I have friends over in Africa that are doing the very same thing. And then here we are at this juncture and we're unable to assemble with our church and we miss one another and we're doing everything we can with technology, just like this, to meet together, to have conversations, to pray, to preach the word through live stream and, and what have you. But it's not the same. So how would you encourage the church during these moments when we, as a church, by the very nature of the definition, were to be assembling, but we're not able to. So, how would you encourage the church? Well,
1: first of all, um, you know, the church needs to be very careful. You know, we know that we, in this world, we're a strange bird. We know that that the world doesn't necessarily have a fondness for us. But we need to be very careful about you know when we're told that we should not congregate, that it is some conspiracy. To, uh, to shut us out, to destroy Christianity in America. But, um, Romans 13 is very, very clear. And I think that wisdom also dictates that that we take this time and and we do what the government says. I, I do believe that with all my heart. I know, you know, I'll get a lot of flack for it. But, but Romans 13 is there and um, If the government had told me you can't meet because we hate Christianity, that would be different. But it's telling us that we need to, uh, it knows a lot about what's going on medically, and we need to listen to it. And um, so I think this is a necessary thing that we must do. Now, the thing about it is, is, is how do we respond? Are we resilient? You know? Uh, we've been given you know we're not living in the Puritan days realize this you know in the time of Jonathan Edwards another thing many people who lived in rural communities didn't go to church for a month and a half two months in the winter you didn't travel five miles in a wagon when there was four feet of snow on the ground and so Christians have always had to go through things like this and I think we should do our part to try to make sure that this this virus is contained now Uh, Something that was very interesting is a friend of mine who works with me, he heard a conversation in in a grocery store, uh, it was yesterday or the day before, uh, two people who didn't go to church. They don't, we don't go to, I I don't go to church, they said, but, but this is wrong. Churches should be allowed to meet. And there seems to be like, when things like this happen, there's this super spirituality that is actually very superficial that starts to spring up. But, you know, here's my question. What can we do at this time? You know, when I had my heart attack and and I went for at least a year or more without a public ministry, a lot of my friends and I was literally shut up in a home. And a lot of my friends would write me and say, you know, we we feel so bad that you've been shut, shut away from public ministry. And I said, yes, but I have been shut up to God. I've been shut into him. And I literally spent in that time, sometimes 8, 10, 12 hours a day, studying the scripture and working on things with regard to the gospel that I wanted to understand. And this is an opportunity for us to do that. We have a Bible. All of us, and we have the Holy Spirit, both individually and as a community. And we can use the means that God has given us with technology to do the best that we can. I would suggest that this gives us an opportunity to stop living in disobedience in so many areas. So many people tell me, you know, I, I don't have time to study my Bible. Well, congratulations, you have time now. I don't have time to pray. Well, You can pray. Or especially, I don't have time to disciple my children or to spend time with my children. Will you do now. So take advantage of this time. The best that you can in the most biblical way you can spend a lot of time in the word, a lot of time in the prayer, a lot of time with your family talking about Scripture and talking about eternal things. Use this as an opportunity. Last night with my children, we once again sat down and said, you know, in no way did I want to instill fear in them. You know, don't do that. Don't don't use this to do something like that. But to in a in a in a biblical fashion. And and with you know with sobriety and with seriousness, um, children, do you realize that, that death is a reality and many people are suffering, and that we need to live our lives as servants, and we need to live our lives for the benefit of the glory of God and for the benefit of humanity. You see,
0: the Bible is very clear about the warnings, you know, to God's people and God's church about false teachers. So. Uh, What words of encouragement or wisdom would you uh, say young believers or just the church in general to be careful about what they're listening to and who they're listening to during these days?
1: It's very difficult to prepare for a trial when you're in the midst of a trial. You prepare long before the trial comes. And there are certain things we're commanded to do as Christians, study the word, pray, but one of the most overlooked is to be in, to be a vital member of a biblical local church. Now, if we have young people out there right now who have not obeyed that command and they're not vital members sitting under godly elders and godly preaching, then at this moment, there's very little that we can do for them. God has put correct um, protecting parameters around us that, that I, being you know, I'm 58 now. I'm Paul the aged. That I that I need. And and so you know, first of all, you should have been in a local church with godly pastors. If you're not, then then as soon as this this virus is over, get yourself in a godly local church and under godly uh, elders. But in the time being, recognize this. The, Is the preacher preaching scripture? Does it appear that his motives are for the benefit of the people or for the benefit of self? Is he giving himself away or is he asking you to do something for him and his ministry? Uh, Recently, I have uh, been privy to, to some of these prosperity preachers and some of the atrocities, some of the things that they have been saying in the midst of this This virus just exposes uh, that they're wolves in sheep's clothing, demanding money, demanding people to not, you know, keep giving or you're not faithful and all these different things. And um, a true servant of God, if he's a servant of Christ, he'll be a servant of those who are listening to him. And he will be preaching exposition. He will be talking about what does the scripture say? not pulling out a few little verses and making a soup that promotes his special interest.
0: So we're living in strange days in our culture, but we're also living in in such a time in history where our culture uh, celebrates the freedom to kill babies, but at the very same time, would shut down the entire economy uh, to bring people to a place of social distancing in order to save people who are outside of the womb. And as we think about the days leading up to this upcoming presidential election and the confusing times that we're living in, the uncertain days surrounding a pandemic, how does this present pandemic open up opportunities for the church to share the hope and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ?
1: Well, I think that first of all, we need to be very careful that we do not go beyond scripture. You know, so many people have contacted me or I've heard people say, you know, this is the judgment of God upon the West. Um, the prophets many, many times declared judgment, that something was the judgment of God. But we're talking about people who received direct revelation from God. We have scripture. We have the scripture. So what do I know from scripture? Can I, Paul Washer, uh, drive my car to Washington, which is about four hours away, and stand before the gates and declare, this is the judgment of God upon the ungodly. Well, I haven't received a dream. I haven't received a vision. And, you know, the scriptures do not specifically mention Washington, D.C. What do I know from scripture? I know this, that God is all sovereign. Number one. Number two, I know from scripture that God judges nations. I do know that. And he judges nations because they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and as a result of suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, they open up a Pandora's box of of immorality. And with immorality, never forget this: immorality always breeds violence and a degrading of human life. So these are the things I know biblically. Also, this this thing that is happening. We also need to recognize that it it does expose hypocrisy. I mean, there are court cases right now battling to uh, either give back or gain new rights for for abortionists Um, here in Virginia. We had the terrible thing before this broke out of the conversation about, you know, once babies are born, simply allowing them to die peacefully. And so. We look at the hypocrisy of what's going on. Now, should the government and should Americans and people around the world be fighting for the lives of every individual in this in this virus? Absolutely. And I have to applaud. I I just heard that there were many, many doctors in Europe that have died trying to fight this virus in clinics and all kinds of things, and it's appropriate. But taking nothing away from that, look at the hypocrisy. Look at the hypocrisy. That that we 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 slaughter millions of babies. You know, it's like I remember someone said one time, you know, we will whistle. And sing a tune. Um, we'll see a little bird dying on that's died on the side of the side of the road and will lament. But we'll whistle while we walk by a slaughterhouse. And and, and, and that's true. but. But with regard to humanity now, and so our immorality has given way to violence. And that's what self-centeredness always does when you make yourself God, then no one else really, truly matters. And so these are things that we can biblically point out yet at the same time, never forget. When people are scared, the gospel of Jesus Christ is called good news for a reason. And even though we must expose sin in that good news, we must talk about judgment. It must always end in good news. I'll always tell young Christians that, you know, they, they, they'll walk around feeling condemned They'll walk around with so many things going through their brain. And I'll tell them, um, you know how you can discern the voice of God and the voice of the devil. Not that I believe that God speaks to people today audibly, but they say, how? And I say, God may speak a very, very hard word to you, But it will always end in repent, return to me. It's the same way in the gospel. That's the message we ought to say, repent and return to the Lord. He is gracious. The devil, when he exposes sin, he just leaves you with condemnation and tells you to run away from God. There is no hope. So we need to be saying to people there is hope. And what is that hope? It's the thing that gives me hope personally. It's something I've experienced. I have hope because Jesus Christ is risen. And we need to maintain a balance. And again, Josh, this is real important. You know, when someone gets in a trial, they've neglected the Bible for say, let's years or months, they get in a trial and then they just start running through scripture, trying to find an answer. And it it doesn't work that way. In the same way with how can we be a witness now? You'll be a good witness if you've spent the last several years of your life meditating on the scriptures, sitting under good preaching, and and obeying god with regard to prayer but if you're looking for a quick fix of finding a track that'll tell you everything you need to say to somebody you will not be an adequate witness
0: well paul washer thank you for joining us for this episode of the g3 podcast may god bless you and continue to use you and heart cry in the coming days to strengthen local churches for the glory of god
1: amen well god bless you and thank you for this opportunity